with the scent of potpourri. Films we commit to memory. Crossing the felt roads, watching from home on my TV, looking at all my eyes can see. They tell me I view obsessively. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, and while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer for tons and tons and tons of bonus audio content, including TV and book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, and much more. Recently on Patreon, I've been doing an ongoing series where every Sunday I review part of a Stephen King novel, and it's all in the lead up to his new release, Holly, in September. So I've been doing the Bill Hodges trilogy. I just finished that uh, last week, and now I'm moving on to The Outsider, which also features Holly Gibney. And then from there, I'm going to do all the novellas in the If It Bleeds collection, and then I'm going to do a series of reviews on Holly in September. So um, in addition to that, I do immediate reaction recordings in the car after I see a movie in the theater, and I do a lot of other crap on there, too. So, uh, again, check mm-hmm. that out, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media, including Letterboxd, at obsessiveviewer. And today on the show, we're going to be reviewing Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan, which is now in theaters. It's opening in theaters this weekend. And joining me today is, of course, my co-host of 10 years. Uh, whose letterboxed is letterboxd.com slash obsessive tiny. It is tiny. Did I say my co-host tiny? Um, tiny. <laughs> uh, yeah, tiny. That's me. Hey, how's nice. it going? How is it going with you? I, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks. Good. Good. We, uh, we did a, a pretty lengthy Patreon recording where uh, you uh, divulged to me that you almost got frostbite in July in Indianapolis. So that's, yep. uh, that's an interesting riveting story that you can find on Patreon. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Any, like what have you been up to in terms of movies and TV and stuff? And, and since we've last recorded obsessive viewer, it's been a while since we recorded an obsessive viewer episode together. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, I've been, uh, on a strange war movie kick lately mm-hmm. for no apparent reason. So I've watched a handful of those, um i also just yesterday i think finished uh the latest uh season of black mirror oh Um, nice nice yeah so i finished that good season good Mm -hmm. good slate of episodes i i enjoyed them um nothing nothing mind-blowing i don't think like like past seasons but uh but good good for sure um nice yeah so that's kind of what i've been uh been on lately Sweet. Yeah, I'm I'm eager to find out what you thought about more in more depth about Black Mirror. We can talk off mic and everything, but um to plug the Patreon again, I did do an immediate reaction for all those episodes. And I'm going to be covering the season on Anthology, which is back. I finished season three of the Twilight Zone on Anthology. And so now I'm going to do a bonus episode series on Black Mirror and then move on to season four. So I'm very excited about that. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, on, uh, but again, on Patreon, I did immediate reactions for, um, Black Mirror season five. Um, nice. yeah. What other war movies have you watched? And, and have you revisited, um, 
Dunkirk by chance. I haven't, but I really should because I think I've mm-hmm. only seen it the one time. Um, yeah. uh, I talked about like Black Hawk Down, Lone Survivor, mm-hmm. um, American Sniper, and uh, what's the... Oh, uh, I watched that 13 Hours movie, which oh, is yeah. not necessarily war, but mm-hmm. shoot them up kind of yeah. battle. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, um, that's it. So. Are, do you think you'll revisit 1917? Because I know that was your movie of the year that year. Again, I should because it's been a while. <laughs> um, I might. I don't know. I don't know if the kick is going to go on that long. We'll, we nice. will see. Very but, nice. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's a good question. Sweet. Thank you. Uh, it's the only kind I have. Um, <laughs> but uh, here's another one at you. How are babies made? No, I'm kidding. Um, but... <laughs> um, but no, uh, yeah, uh, other things before we get into the review and everything, I, <laughs> I've been making TikToks, Tiny. <laughs> um, I have been enjoying them. I think oh, nice. You, Thank uh, you. I think you fell into the medium pretty well, or like you've, you've adapted the trends of the medium pretty well. Like I'm kind of impressed. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I was not fishing for that because I, I am in stark disagreement with you, um, but <laughs> um but no it's been it's been fun it is literally like so if here's a test if you guys if you are listening to this episode because you saw one of my tiktoks and that was the first time that you like were made aware of obsessive viewer podcasts uh like let me know like message me like dm me on tiktok or um uh, message me on twitter wherever you find me email me matt at obsessiveviewer.com um and just let me know because I'm, I'm curious if that is going to be beneficial for <laughs> listenership or anything but it's an avenue of social media that i have just gotten more and more familiar with as i've been as is no as was noted in a patreon recording some time ago uh we're both tiktok boys tiny mm, and yep uh, so yeah, so I, like I've been browsing TikTok and I'm like, yeah, you know, I can throw my opinions out there and everything. And then, um, yeah, I figured, you know, might as well do that and throw the logos up at the end of each video <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and yeah, hope for more listeners and everything, but it's been very fun. It's been very interesting. And, uh, it's, it's, since it's a time limit thing, it's relatively low effort for me. Like, I know that people on TikTok put a lot of work into their TikToks, um, but me, it's more of a free-flowing kind of thing, so. Gotcha. So, yeah. That's that's why I haven't embraced it as mm-hmm. much. Like, I've, I, I've done a few TikToks, but, like, it's just, like, editing video for me, I it's not my thing. Like, it's just too much. And <laughs> Well, it's um, interesting because, like, the, u- the user interface makes it pretty pretty easy at a base level like there are people that do like wild things with their stuff and i'm just like i have no idea i don't know what you're doing but i can put the cover art for a book that i read in the background of my tiktok and talk about it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah well i'm enjoying them so thank you thank you yeah and uh, if you're on tiktok follow me it's uh ov podcasts is the uh username uh, the funny story about that is because it's it's OV Podcasts because I had previously signed up with Obsessive Viewer as the username, and then I did not know how to sign back into that account. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I went ahead and did OV Podcasts. Um, 
yeah so it's been fun it's been it's been fun so yeah nice yeah um other than that nothing else going on or anything um yeah uh do you want to get into our review of oppenheimer Yes, sir. Let's go. Okay, awesome. So, like we usually do, we're going to be doing a review of the movie. Uh, this this episode's review is obviously of Oppenheimer, which is coming out this weekend, directed by uh, Christopher Nolan. This is going to, the format, of course, is going to be a non-spoiler review, and then we're going to jump to a spoiler section, which is going to, we're, we're going to note when we're going to go into spoilers. There are timestamps in the show notes to find uh, all the information, everything. Those show notes can also be found at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV395. And so, yeah, so let's go ahead and get into our non-spoiler review of Oppenheimer. And to get us kicked off, um, going to kind of give a preliminary stuff, uh, information. Oppenheimer opens this weekend nationwide. Uh, we saw it at a, at a promo and press screening last night at the Indiana State Museum on 70 millimeter film. Uh, biggest theater in the state, biggest screen in the state. Uh, it is one of 30, uh, theaters in the, in the U S that is capable of screening this in 70 millimeter film in the world, in the world, in the world. Yes. In the world. Jesus. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, uh, I'm actually Facebook friends with the projectionist there and, um, Yeah. And I mean, just the projection is amazing. Uh, So the premise, according to IMDb, is the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Again, this was directed by Christopher Nolan. Writer was Christopher Nolan, based on the book American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin Sherwin. And the cast includes Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert uh, Robert Downey Jr., Alden Ehrenreich, uh, Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, and pretty much any other actor working today. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a very stacked supporting cast. Um, so, Tiny, uh, as we get into the review, first, just a brief overview. Where do you stand with Christopher Nolan's work now in the lead up to seeing Oppenheimer? Um where do you stand? We, yeah. Where, where do you stand with, with, with Christopher Nolan, especially in regards to his recent work, like Tenet and, um, uh, Interstellar and Dunkirk. Um, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh, he, he still is. He has been for years. Um, I think, uh, I, I think there are absolutely fair criticisms to be levied at him as a, as a filmmaker, as a writer, especially um but i i feel like he just he just packs such a punch and has such a distinct style that just really speaks to me um i i feel like his flaws just don't bother me that much Mm. um it's you know kind of that's that's just my opinion and like i again i understand why those things bother other people um, but I, I just think he's an incredible filmmaker. I, I, I love his, I love his, uh, dedication to practical filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I think CGI is, um, is, is a great tool for filmmaking. It's, it's, it's given us phenomenal movies. Um, but it can also be a really big crutch and can be used poorly and overdone, um, and and the fact that he's dedicated to the practical side of it and literally 
never uses it as a crutch. Um, I, I just really respect that about him as a filmmaker. Um, he, you know, it's been part of the, I don't know if it was part of the marketing, but it came out that he, there's like not even one second of CGI in yeah. Oppenheimer, um, which is just astounding in this mm-hmm. day and age. Um, so yeah, I, I just really respect him as a filmmaker, as a visionary, as a storyteller. Um, just, just what he, what he can do with the camera. I'm just, I just really love. Interesting. Well, well said. Um, for me, it, oh, oh, and, and what did you think of Tenet? Um, his last film. I, we, so Ben and, uh, and his friend and I were talking about mm. that last night. It's, you know, I think it's certainly a flawed movie. I mean, it's, it's very flawed. I don't think, I, I think it's very, possible for people to enjoy that movie sure um which is such a horrible way to start but it's i I think if you can see it a couple times and the first time you watch it don't try to understand it just kind of go along for the ride i think you can have a good time with it you can get something out of it you can find really cool things to latch onto in that movie um and it's it can be fascinating because i've watched it three times at this point oh wow and yeah and i i i mean I, I will defend it to an extent, but again, it's it's there. There are there are people who want to see a movie once, and that's mm-hmm. it. And they they want certain things out of it, and and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And Tenet is not that movie, mm-hmm. and it's 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 borderline. It, it's it borderline can't be comprehended. That movie. I mean, I I don't know that it's a it's it's a matter of intelligence with that movie i think it's i think it's it's not like oh because you're you don't get it because you're dumb no it's you you don't get it because it's not a linear it doesn't it doesn't fit human thought patterns like that's Mm -hmm. the kind of movie it is um it's it i think it's super it's a super one-of-a-kind movie though i'll Mm -hmm. say that it's uh I, i i'm a fan of it and i will attempt to defend it (laughs) (laughs) that's it's that's a really interesting way to frame it um which i'll talk more in depth about just my overview of nolan but with tenant i saw it once and and that was under under severe circumstances um this it came out like i saw it digitally um at home in december of 2020 while i was symptomatic with covid like pre-vaccine covid (laughs) um had like a very high fever and just like basic, you know, symptoms and everything. So I admit I was not in the right frame of mind to watch this movie at all. Um, but I also didn't really care for it that much. Uh, the set pieces were really interesting. The concept on the surface is right up my alley. Like just like inverted time is, is interesting to me. But it fell, it fell down to a lot, or it came down a lot to Nolan's, his, 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 um, tendency to just kind of at times over explain things, but also there are times in this movie where like, um, oh, uh, um, I can't remember the actress's name, um, Oh, uh, she was in, she was in, uh, 127 hours briefly, but anyway, um, but uh, French actress, but anyway, she, 
where she says like don't try to think about it or don't try to understand it's like okay that's a little bit of a cop out there Nolan <laughs> um, right which right. yeah like if you can divorce yourself from that more power to you but I kind of think that it's a little bit I don't know I need to revisit it but it just it's a there's a reason why I haven't bothered to revisit <laughs> um that's totally valid dude yeah. like I yeah and like I'm not I'm not going to defend it to the point where I care that much. Like, I, I mean, it's <laughs> right. I, like, I, I totally get it. It's, it's, it is a weird movie and it's, and you know, it's, it's full of the classic, uh, Chris Nolan exposition dumps because it has to be. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think he's, I, I'll say that the way I used to defend his, exposition dumps is that he he creates such complex worlds and uses such complex ideas that mm-hmm. you don't have a choice which is partially true but at the same time i think a movie like interstellar that's mm. only sort of science fiction like it's it's based on a lot of fact that that movie's still packed with exposition mm. and it's not it's not creating a vastly wild distant world like it's just it's just in the future a little bit and like it's yeah. not it's in the near future you know what i mean it's it's nothing it's not a crazy some crazy universe with crazy physics bending uh concepts like inception or tenet it's mm. just space travel which yeah. shouldn't be so exposition heavy and so i i think again those criticisms are totally valid mm. and i think i i'm not a writer so i don't know how to correct that i i wouldn't even try but i i'm sure i i think he can find a way to make a movie that's not so exposition heavy um yeah. he, he kind of he did it with oppenheimer so <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about it so. yeah oh yeah we'll talk about that um the other thing i want to say just overview of nolan i i mean he is one of he he has long been one of my favorite filmmakers even though i, I wasn't too keen on interstellar or tenet um, Dunkirk was kind of, I, I saw it once in the theater and I haven't revisited it. Um, but I still very, have a great deal of appreciation for just what he does like in each movie. <laughs> like it's very, uh, unique. Those, those trademarks that he has are very, very of his, his toolkit and everything. Um, yeah, so so we'll we'll get into Oppenheimer here shortly. I just want to say that I did write a review on obsessiveviewer.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um and everything. So, um tiny Oppenheimer. Non-spoilers. Uh I do want to say real quick to go back to the TikTok conversation. I did find a very funny TikTok um that let me find what the username is cuz I'm going to play the audio of it. It's um it's like a sketch where it uses kind of it uses AI animation, which is uh, scary, uh, very scary to me. <laughs> um, but the username is uh, Luke underscore Strickler. Um, so this is his TikTok. I'm going to play the audio of it. So here we go. I'm at a pre-screening for Oppenheimer, and the intro was insane. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Just kidding. I'm Cillian Murphy, and I play J. Robert Oppenheimer in this summer flick, Oppenheimer. And I'm Christopher Bombhead. I play the atomic bomb. Thanks for seeing this movie on the big screen. And remember, man wasn't meant to play God. Except at the movies. 
And at that point, it shows Oppenheimer based on a based on a fucking true story. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I just I don't know. I got a huge kick out of that. But anyway, uh, let's talk about Oppenheimer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does bother me that they mispronounce his name. It's Killian Murphy. Um, but yeah, yeah. But anyway, non spoilers. What did you think about Oppenheimer? Um, I was spellbound by this movie. Really, um, oddly enough, I I sort of I kind of made a parallel with the movie Lincoln from. Uh, was that six years ago, maybe seven years ago? Um, yeah. And and, and the, the 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 connection that I have to that mo- the connection I made between the two, is from a filmmaking standpoint. Um, I'm I am amazed by a movie that can be ninety plus percent of just people talking to each other. Like there's not action, there's not major set pieces necessarily. It's it's dialogue driven, um, and and when a movie can do that, and I can't take my eyes off of it, like I am just edge of my seat enthralled. Um, Lincoln did that, however many years ago that I can't remember what that was, like twenty sixteen or something like that, maybe yeah, something older like than that. that. Um, or no, I think it was twenty twelve. Yeah, that's right. I think it was older than that. Yeah, maybe ten, twelve years ago. Yeah. Um, Lincoln did that, and. Oppenheimer achieved that as well. Um, I, I was just astounded by that. So um, the the performances are all top notch. There were no weak links in the performances in this movie. Um, so many things were on point. All the costuming and um, I, I the one thing that surprised me. This isn't a spoiler, but there was just there weren't huge set pieces like Christopher Nolan's kind of famous for. Yeah. Um, which which is kind of surprising, um, but I think it fits. Like I think it fits the movie. Like what what I don't know that there's anything that needed to be a big set piece. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what what could you have added in there? Um, I mean, we'll talk about it more in spoilers. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I, um, I I think that could maybe be a not necessarily a criticism, but mm. Nolan fans may have missed that. And, and and yeah wanted more of that i guess maybe but uh it didn't bother me i'll say that so absolutely something i found really interesting about this movie is i mean there is obviously the one big selling like big set piece that pretty obvious like what the movie is but <laughs> what i found pretty captivating about this movie is that it is it's a world war ii movie and there is not a single frame of this movie depicting world war ii it is all stateside it's all the manhattan project it is all all of that um and the way that nolan is able to make that make the you know obviously the conflict of world war ii and make that be the impetus for everything that goes into making this this weapon to end all wars um, in the way that he makes that feeling of the world literally at war make the way that he makes that shine through in the finished product without showing a single frame of fighting of, of actual warfare is very commendable to his ability to just tell this story the way that he wanted to tell it. And it's a very unique way, um, of telling 
it, which is to its detriment and to its benefit in varying degrees, which I'll talk about in more detail. But um, any other overview thoughts or do you want me to give mine? Uh, no, go ahead. Okay, I loved this movie. <laughs> it it was it was phenomenal. Um, the I, I have been on a hot and cold streak with Christopher Nolan recently. I need to revisit Interstellar at some point, but I was very harsh to that movie. I was very down on it for various reasons, and without revisiting it, I still stand by those reasons. But. Um, even with like Tenet, I wasn't engaged with it. And even to a much lesser degree, Dunkirk just felt like it, it just didn't, it didn't grab, it didn't grip me. I, I have not been like grabbed by a Nolan movie. I don't think since the Dark Knight Rises, um, which a lot of people say is the worst of the Dark Knight trilogy. And I think it's perfectly above average and, and even great to an extent. Um, but with Oppenheimer, Um, there are things in this movie that I've never seen in a Christopher Nolan movie. And that is incredibly refreshing because as we've talked about and as, as has been stated that he has such a, he has such an almost dependency on dumbing down dialogue in order to communicate to the audience what's going on. And that is oftentimes to me, something that detracts greatly from the movie even one of even in like one of my favorite movies of literally of all time inception um like the example that i gave to you when we were talking outside of the movie is that like there are scenes in that movie that like like so much of the dialogue is literally like two characters explaining something specifically for the audience's benefit and because of that the dialogue just feels a little bit bland like there's that one scene where Ariadne is is with um Cobb and he's shooting at the projections um as they're as they're kind of swarming the the place where they need to get um Killian Murphy into the vault and everything and like and and Ariadne is like oh are you are you killing them are you killing parts of his brain and he's just like no it's just projections it's like we don't need that like we, we don't need that at all that's strictly yeah. for our benefit but here with Oppenheimer, I think mostly it could be because it's it, it's a biography, it's a biopic, it's a it's a true story, or maybe it's just a, it's it's um, growth on his part as a screenwriter. But there are so many just very nuanced touches to the screenplay, and like little moments here and there, and the dialogue has a lot of subtlety and subtext that communicates so much without having to say or do very much. And in those character beats and the way that it informs the greater narrative and everything, I think it just shines. It is like you would, you had mentioned outside of the theater that you think it's his best written movie. And I wholeheartedly agree. I think that it shows just, it, it's something that we haven't seen from, from Nolan. Um, and I think that that's really refreshing. Um, and then, Elsewhere, I mean, I had some issues with the structure of the movie. Um, most notably, I, it t- it takes about twenty to thirty minutes before, for me, before like it clicked together. Like I didn't understand what the different timelines were, to the point where I was just like, okay, I feel like Nolan just wanted to make a nonlinear thing because that's Nolan's thing. He wants to do nonlinear storytelling, which I'm a fan of. 
But when we have two concurrent timelines and it's not very clear what the purpose of each is from the outset, and one of them is hampered by flashbacks to to like his experience, like to Oppenheimer's experience in like academia, academia and everything that just muddies the waters too much. And that, that was a, that was a bit of a detriment, but about half an hour in it clicked together and it, it was kind of smooth sailing from there, uh, for me. And the final thing I'll say in kind of non-spoilers and then, and then, and then we can kind of actually talk about it instead of me just talking at you, um, (laughs) is that, um, the visual effects, like it is, yeah, the practical effects are incredible. The one, the one big, like money shot scene of the test is it is it is it you have to see it like you have to see it it is it's it's incredible um but there are moments throughout the movie where there is a level to which nolan goes into the psyche of oppenheimer through these visuals of these different like molecular like atom smashing sequences that are very brief kind of reminds me a little bit of um and this might be this might be me just thinking about like practical effects and everything but it reminds me a little bit of like what Aronofsky did with the fountain like having these just very abstract visual representations of these weird crazy things um and what Nolan does here is he uses those types of like that template of these atomic level movements to just show what how how the decisions and how the work that Oppenheimer did weighs on his conscience and as the movie progresses that becomes this that becomes represented in the like outside of Oppenheimer like there are scenes where he is in like he's in the real world and things are happening that is just it's showing like the it's showing it it's it's showing some crazy stuff and what i love is that that is a subtle touch in the grand scheme of things cuz this is a 3 hour movie and there's like two scenes of that um and it just it just really really accentuates exactly what nolan is uh trying to say with it which we'll talk more in spoilers about it but i just think that visually and technically and uh writingly um this is <laughs> a very impressive um uh movie by Christopher Nolan. Absolutely. Nice. Well said. Yeah. Thank um you. Yeah, what was I gonna tackle first? I forget. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think it, you mentioned early on that you had a bit of issue with the structure of it. Yeah. And I agree, especially early on. Like it it's you know, the whole Strauss uh timeline stuff storyline it's it's so it's so disconnected from what we're seeing with oppenheimer it's like okay how does this even first of all what are we doing like what is this like why why are we following this guy and i obviously he's linked to oppenheimer some way Mm -hmm. but we don't know how and we don't know why this is clearly in the future later on from what we're experiencing with oppenheimer right now in his sort of, you know, youth academia years. Um, yeah, it's, 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 you can't link the two and it is jarring. Um, and then there's some other scenes later on where 
there's kind of debate and discussion going on kind of in a back room around a t- around literal literal round table yeah. of scientists debating something and while you understand why the debate is relevant it's you're there's a lot there's a lot of confusion about the timeline it's like okay when yeah i think i think the earliest uh the earliest that that we see as far as the year is probably in the 19 teens maybe when oppenheimer's young i don't know maybe early even maybe even earlier than that Mm. um but then and it goes all the way into the like 60s maybe yeah Uh, I, i don't know but you know it's it's so obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of jumping around and a lot of yeah. movement. Obviously a lot of it is you know between nineteen uh, nineteen forty two and nineteen forty five. Obviously mm-hmm. that's when the Manhattan Project was 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 going. But um, and and I think once they get into that, once they get into the Los Alamos, I think that's where structurally the movie was in its best groove because it's like Absolutely. okay this is the core and we can understand this is the core story. We can get flashbacks. We can get the future straw stuff and it all works together pretty well. And actually really well. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, pretty graspable, but it, that, that is the, for me, that's like just about the only flaw that I could really see in the movie. And, and frankly, with such a detailed biopic in such mm-hmm. a, uh, practice of leaving no stone unturned in this biopic, I think you're going to have some muddling. Like, I think that's going to happen. I, but, but I still think, and again, it's it, the fact that it's unconventional, I think is so great. It's such a mm-hmm. great way to tell the story. I think like it was such a brilliant way to tell the story, but it unfortunately, the, unfortunately led to early structural issues that made it difficult to grasp right away. So yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that um in terms of those structural issues at the, at the beginning like it it's pretty clearly like from the outset there are two kind of concurrent timelines going. There is Oppenheimer being in this in this room with a panel of people that he is giving a testimony to. And then you have Strauss played by Robert Downey Jr. and in kind of gorgeous black and white photography who is sitting in front of a congressional like hearing. And in my review, I had mentioned that Oppenheimer's portion of the movie in this part is he is looking to get his security clearance re- like renewed and Strauss is being, um, uh, he, he is, um, he's being considered uh, there's a uh, it's a confirmation hearing for cabinet position um and i kind of hesitated to put that in my review because from my memory we don't know that that's the case until like the third act of the movie and this is a three-hour movie (laughs) so that was a little bit frustrating to me but and even then, like, it's not until, like, very late in the movie that I began to even care about Strauss's whole whole arc in that in those congressional hearings. Um, it ties together really well, which we'll talk about in the spoilers, but it is a it is a very, very steep uphill climb to really be engaged with it when the movie is so densely packed with so much information, so many things happening at every given time that it's 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 kind of incongruous to what I said before in that 
the movie, it's, it's refreshing that Nolan doesn't hold the audience's hand or doesn't have to dumb down anything or make it presentable to a mass audience. And I think part of my theory is because he doesn't, he doesn't use like that, like heavy exposition dialogue that he does in so many other movies, because this is nonfiction. This is, this is, um, based on true events and everything. And it's not this, it's not this, uh, it's not this high concept sci-fi or high concept idea that he feel feels that he needs to over explain. It's just a more grounded and realistic, um, uh, steeped in realism and, and true, true life story. Um, and so that I think is a really good thing for the movie, but it's in that structure, that nonlinear structure where it kind of loses its, loses itself a little bit for me. And some things and, and even some like whole subplots kind of get fall by the wayside, which I'll talk about briefly in a moment, but, um, it kind of, it, it kind of made that, that's like my one main criticism is that, um, I wish that it was at least in that first act, I wish that it was a little bit more, um, straightforward and um i wish that there was a little bit more heavy lifting to explain like what is going on because as soon as we're introduced to it like the opening of the movie is concurrent shots of uh oppenheimer at his hearing and strauss at his hearing and like it says like one fission and two uh uh fusion um like these little title cards that come up and i don't know why that is like i don't know what delineates those um i had forgotten about that yeah i y- that's yeah. funny yeah that was that's odd like i don't understand necessarily there's probably some cute scientific mm-hmm. link to that but i don't know yeah that was a little goofy Looking, yeah now that i now that you i'm glad you brought that up yeah yeah it reminds me of I, this might be and this might be like <laughs> I think this this might honestly be a freaking Jeff Foxworthy joke, um, which is uh, showing my upbringing, really, because I heard this when I was a kid. Um, but I, it might even be just, just like even like Larry the Cable Guy. But anyway, um, uh, geniuses of comedy, they like there's a there's a joke that's like, yeah, my like, you know, small town library or whatever has has two has two. Um, two sections there's fission and non-fission um like fission because yeah nice anyway it's <laughs> dumb but <laughs> anyway uh but yeah so i didn't know what those titles like what like how that was supposed to be how that was supposed to play out i think that there is yeah. probably we'll talk more about that in spoilers because i think that by the end those two concurrent timelines like really piece together really well i think um but in those opening moments, like I said, it starts with that. And then like, as soon as like we're introduced to Oppenheimer in this setting, and then he has to give his testimony, like a prepared statement where he explains like what, what, like how he got back to America from after studying abroad or whatever. Um, and it's just a rapid succession of like flashbacks to, okay, he's in a classroom. Okay. He's meeting Florence Pugh. Okay. He's doing this. He's doing that. And it's just like, I'm like, I'm like, slow down. Like, We've got three yeah. hours, like maybe, you know, make this like, don't short shrift this part of the movie, like right off the bat. Um, but yeah, but like you said, once the Manhattan Project started properly and everything, that's, 
I mean, like I mentally in the theater, I was like, okay, Matt Damon is here. He's, he's telling him that he's going to be appointed to the, to head up the Manhattan project. It's go time. This is where I'm, the movie's getting into its groove. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I was also, um, one thing I wanted to talk about was the sort of the depiction of the science. Mm-hmm. Um, because we talked earlier about the concept of exposition and how Nolan uses it as a crutch, like uh, undeniably. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was expecting some of that in this movie because we're talking about quantum physics. I mean, it's, <laughs> right. it's some of the most complex science known to man. Um, but I, I was so pleased with the fact that we this movie has very little of that. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of the depiction of science, or at least the explanation of it, uh, was almost like poetic. Um, and like there, there's a moment where Emily Blunt's character is asking him, she's like, so, so she's kind of like, she doesn't say this, but she's like, what, what, are, what is quantum physics or how would you explain it? Mm-hmm. And he has this like very poetic explanation of you know uh, all the, the this glass and the liquid in it and mm. this furniture and even our bodies are made of uh are mostly made up of space and they're connected by these this energy that we can't explain and this energy prevents our bodies from going through each other and they touch hands and it has this romantic yeah. side to it but it's it it explains quantum physics or at least gives you the layman version of it without shitty exposition or making you feel yeah. like an idiot, you know? And it was, there's other examples of that. There's a point like where, uh, uh, the Alvarez scientist like goes and splits the atom, I think, or he, he recreates the experiment yeah. of the splitting of the atom and he's showing them on a screen and they Oppenheimer and Lawrence, uh, both have the same revelation at the same time. Like you're thinking what I'm thinking and, and Alvarez is like, no, what, what are you thinking? And he just says a bomb. And mm. again, that's not shitty exposition. That's like no. a natural, that's like a, that's like a natural conversation that yeah. a person would have as opposed to, <laughs> no, they're just projections. I'm not actually killing yeah. parts of his brain. They're just, you know, it's natural. It feels yeah. right. And it's like, it's like real life dialogue. <laughs> it's not, yeah. it's not like, it's not like Anne Hathaway telling Matthew McConaughey, like, what if it's not science? What if it's love? What if love is binding us together? Like, okay, that's a leap there, man. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Um, yeah. But yeah, totally. but that... I love Interstellar, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that that description of quantum physics or quantum mechanics or whatever, the the way, like, I'm eager to see it again for a multitude of reasons, but mostly, well, not mostly, but one of those reasons is the dialogue in that scene. Because, like, the way that it's, the way that he says it, it's like, the space between like these atoms and molecules and stuff are working to convince us that we are salt, like they're, that they're solid matter and it's preventing us from like just going through each other. And I'm just like, that is, that is awesome. <laughs> like That is mm-hmm. just so poet, like you said, poetic and, and romantic and it's, it's, it's good. It's very good. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of my major, sticking points with this movie aside from the opening 20 or 30 minutes uh kind of discombobulation of the narrative and everything is florence Pugh. um and i I, we'll talk more in spoilers but i love florence Pugh. 
And I think her performance is fantastic. And I said in my review, like I, she is time and time again, proving to be like one of the most interesting and talented actresses working today. And this is also just another notch on her belt there. What I didn't really like was that I felt like if there was one subplot in the movie that got the short shrift, that got shortchanged in some way, I feel like Florence Pugh's storyline as this this young woman that Oppenheimer has an affair with, I feel like that didn't get enough of a do to really sell the full arc by the end of the movie. Um, which again, we'll talk about in spoilers, but did you? how did you feel about Florence Pugh in the character of, of Jean? Yeah, I thought the character and her relation to Oppenheimer was very uh just just muddled again i guess that's the, that's the correct way to put it like i think there's you know obviously her character is highly intelligent just like he is and i feel like uh, like they're they were both i i don't know it's like it's like there's some academic idea that they don't actually believe in love and they have this hmm. They just have this uh, mechanical attraction to each other or something, and that's what they base their relationship on. But I, I, maybe that's reaching. I have no clue. I, I, it's, it is a muddled relationship in, in the movie, the way it's depicted. And I feel like her character was there to primarily just kind of bounce off of Oppenheimer and, and, and be, mm-hmm. be a springboard for his a spring a springboard for drama in his life as opposed to a re- reciprocity or a give and take i i feel like she could have been developed more and because because obviously well not obviously but i'm sure this woman in real life was a huge part of oppenheimer's life yeah i don't know i haven't read the book but um yeah i i don't know i i I, I agree. I think it was odd and it, it's, it's hard to critique it cause she was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, she's, she's so good, but, and you know, I need to see it again cause there's so many moving parts in this movie, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think I could maybe refine how I feel about that character and how it related to the story if I see it again. But I, th- I think there's some issues there. I think there's some, uh, just, just the fact that she's a little bit, dropped the, mm-hmm. the character is a little bit dropped um and it's not it's not clear just how relevant she was in his life and yeah, yeah. I, I i took i took issue with it as well nice yeah it um and like i said we'll talk more in spoilers because uh, we'll have to dance around a bit a little bit but i feel yes, like for sure the way that her arc kind of is implemented in the movie is it it is it's the end of it. It kind of ties into like how it affects the marriage of Oppenheimer and his wife, Kitty played by Emily Blunt, which is, that's great that I like that that ties together. I like that that is used to kind of really much shine a light on the personal life and the personal relationships that, that Oppenheimer had in this movie. And I think that that adds and adds a depth depth and, uh, dimension to the character portrait overall of the overall movie. But I also just feel like we get such infrequent 
scenes with Florence Pugh and Killian Murphy. And in fact, I, off the top of my head, I don't believe that there is a scene with Florence Pugh and another actor in this movie. I don't, I think that it's only her and Killian Murphy. Um, except for uh, the first scene, probably. Right. She's talking about the Chevalier character a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. But from there, yeah, I think you're right though. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's kind of, it's a little frustrating because the movie gets to a point where we need to believe and to an extent we do believe, I did believe that she had, uh, she like, there was a profound, there was some degree of, of a uh, connection between the two, but I feel like that should have been fleshed out more before the way that it ties into the overall storyline. Um, sure. Which, yeah. So we can talk more yeah, about spoilers agree. and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else in non spoilers? What did you think of Emily Blunt and the rest of the supporting cast? If you have a few hours, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, God, everybody was just so good. Um, Emily Blunt, probably one of the best I've seen her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was great. Not just a, not just a supporting character, not not just like a wife, stay-at-home wife in the background, but yeah. a very prominent part of this story. Um, one of the standouts that really surprised me was David Crumholtz. Yeah. I think. I think he's a. I've I've had a high opinion of him as an actor, anyways. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I've seen him really do drama like this. Like he's like I've seen him in yeah. comedy mm-hmm. exclusively. I think. Um, and uh, he was fantastic. I mean, just just with absolute heavyweight actors like Matt Damon and Killian Murphy, and you know all these people, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, and he's just, he's holding his own. He has such a great character and really makes it his own. I loved, I loved his physical, um, mannerisms in this movie. Um, so David Krumholtz was fantastic. Matt Damon, um, was just perfect casting for that character. Like the military character. Like it's not, it's not an overly complex character. Um, and and I it maybe sounds like a put down, but Matt Damon is kind of perfect for that. Like mm-hmm. he can play complex characters for sure, but I'm just saying he I think he he really he he just shined. I, I liked his his he has he's very good at delivering dry comedy. Yeah, like um like the kind of the situational or like the the give and take kind of comedy that that's in this movie and the dialogue. I I think the stuff that. Christopher Nolan's kind of famous for um, yeah. comic relief. He's perfect for that, and he did a great job. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, ev- everybody was so good. Um, uh, Josh Hartnett having a bit of a renaissance, I, or, uh, yes, comeback right now. Yeah. Oh my god! Um, After seeing him in 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 Black Mirror and now this, I'm just like, because I I had either forgotten or did not realize that he was in this movie. And like when he popped up, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is yeah. this is good because I I I mean I was a huge fan of his in the late '90s, early early aughts during the kind mm-hmm. of slasher teen teen slasher thing. I mean the faculty. I mean come on, um, the faculty <laughs> so great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. It's just it's really great to see him uh pop up in in these high profile roles. Yeah. Um, also, I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Robert Downey Jr. Yes absolutely adore first of all great performance just mm-hmm. full stop great performance maybe like award nomination worthy 
yeah. what is so great about it is the casting because we have had Robert Downey Jr. on this Iron Man pedestal for the for the last decade. He has been mm. kind of the quintessential, not the quintessential, but he has been such a hero. Yeah, especially the last handful of years with the end of you know the end of MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, that storyline, <laughs> yeah. um, the event, the Avengers storyline. Yeah, I love how much of a slight, like Freudian slip that is. <laughs> since right. since I don't think the MCU has really risen above Endgame, <laughs> so right, yeah, yeah, or ever ever will probably. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, you know, he again, he's he's on this just such a high pedestal at the moment, and to cast him as basically like a villain, I was like, that's just fantastic i i love that and he he played the part beautifully you know i just yeah i have him in my head as this as iron man as tony stark and he's this magnanimous smart ass kind of guy but mm-hmm. also a hero and and you know uh, and that didn't detract from the straws character at all yeah so, yeah yeah absolutely um and it takes so long to really get to that point in the movie uh but once once it's kind of fleshed out, at least for me, it's, it's a lot. It, he really nails that performance. Like there's a moment toward the end where we'll talk about it in spoilers, of course, but it's like, it's flashing back and forth between Killian Murphy and, and Robert Downey Jr. And it's this intense scene. And one of the things I've, I neglected to mention, I have not spoken these words, but, (laughs) Uh, I feel like there is a, well, I did, I did say this in the Patreon recording, but anyway, uh, in the immediate reaction on Patreon, but I feel like there in my, in my brain, there are different styles of Christopher Nolan movies. Like there's, you know, the kind of character based kind of turncoat or, or, um, manipulative stuff like following, uh, memento and the prestige like that kind of like uh, that magic trick kind of thing in terms of intentions then there's like the the kind of more outright sci-fi stuff like interstellar inception tenet and then you have obviously the dark knight trilogy you have all of these things but when it comes to, in my mind, granted, I haven't rewatched Dunkirk since the theater, but when you have Dunkirk and now Oppenheimer, I feel like, and this is going to sound like a joke, but I'm being, I'm being completely sincere when I say this, I feel like this, these two movies are like Christopher Nolan's like ultimate dad movie titles, um, because... <laughs> They're because they're they're dad movies. They're like they're like oh yeah, let's watch this historical epic about uh, the miracle of Dunkirk and everything, and let's watch like watch this, and then now let's let's watch this three hour examination of the man who created the atomic bomb, and, and like <laughs> let's do that. Like this is like this is Chris Nolan in his dad movie era, um, and and I am here for it. Um, I'm, totally yeah i th- i think it's uh, like it's just it's incredibly impressive honestly um i don't know if i started at a point and then i veered off from it and didn't circle back but i like chris nolan's dad movies um <laughs> that's funny i hadn't i hadn't considered that but that's a great yeah. way to put it da- dad movie Thank you. um yeah i agree um yeah yeah i wonder what he's got rolling around in that head for the next one yeah yeah i i'm very curious what he does next um 
I know he wants to do a Bond movie, a James Bond movie. Oh um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if that'll happen. I mean, yeah, yeah I don't I, know. I'd be game for it. Um, I feel like he and I mean Sam Mendes did. Has he done four? The last four? Uh, did he do? Did no? I I know he did Skyfall. Um, he did. He did at least two, right? I want to say Sam Mendes did at least two of them. That sounds right. Um, Sam. I just, I feel like Christopher Nolan and Sam Mendes are kind of similar filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, not not that they're. I mean, super comparable, but sort right. of comparable. I mean, you know. Yeah. Just in in their styles, anyways, mm-hmm. is what I mean. Um, so I don't know that if bringing Christopher Nolan into the Bond universe, mm-hmm. the James Bond universe, would be a very big stylistic departure from the kind of Sam Mendes era that the Bond franchise is in right now. That's Sa- Sam Mendes did. Point. I don't even remember what the last one was called. The last Daniel Craig one that came out a couple um, of years ago. He, I don't think he did because I don't think Sam Mendes did that one. No, he Sam Mendes did Skyfall and Spectre. Okay. Um, and then who did what was? Oh, I think Kerry Fukunaga did, um, the last one, which I can't even remember the name. Uh, no Time to Die. That's right. Um, I yeah. didn't like it really. No I didn't even. See it, was it. O- it was okay. Okay. Uh yeah, that was Kerry Fukunaga. Um yeah, I, I I haven't seen the last two Bond movies. Um but um but it's interesting. The um I, I don't know that it would be interesting I would be I would be shocked if Nolan signed on for a Bond movie. Um, because I feel like he's already done his franchise thing. He's did the Dark Knight trilogy. He did it his way, not to say that he would do something different and uh, like he th- not to say he wouldn't do something different with Bond. But I feel like he's already done that kind of if not like studio heavy like franchise thing, I, it's it's something that has like, a long running IP behind it and everything. And I, I don't know if that's something that he's, that he would, I would be surprised if he would be interested in that, especially since I feel like he's maybe already scratched that itch with inception and tenant. Um, right. So I, right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just know he, I know he's mentioned that in the past that he'd like to do a bond movie, but yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe like you said, maybe he scratched that itch already. So yeah. Um, but speaking of scratching itches, should we scratch on over to the, uh, to the spoiler section? <laughs> That's a labored, uh, labored transition there, but yeah, sure. It let's really go. is. Okay, cool. So, uh, before <laughs> we do that, what is your, uh, rating for this movie, uh, on Letterboxd and, and where can people find you on Letterboxd, Tiny? <laughs> um, I actually didn't, I wasn't sure because it was the press screen. I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if we could actually post that yet, yeah. but, um, we're good. The okay. embargo I, um, for everything lifted. Okay. It's, I mean, it's going to be four and a half stars uh, nice. for me. Um, uh, it is, uh, this doesn't necessarily mean as much as it might sound like, but it's, it's my favorite movie of the years so far. Nice. Um, I've seen like four movies that came out this year, so it's not really saying a lot. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's going to be on my top 10 for sure. Mm-hmm. That's going to, that's like guaranteed. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it is a uh, tour de force, mm-hmm. totally tour de force. Um, 
Killian Murphy's amazing. The rest of the cast is amazing. And it's, I, I mean, it might be one of the better scripts I've ever seen on film. Like yeah. I just, I love the writing of the movie. Um, and it's, it's just paced. Well, I, I, once the structure found its groove, it's magnificent. Um, it's, nice. it's, it's just a really, really well-made movie all around. Nice. Well said. And where would you rank it in Christopher Nolan's body of work? Hmm. <clears throat> Man, that is. I know. <laughs> ooh, I'd really have to think about that. Mm. I'd say it's towards. It's it's in the top half. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's better than Inception or Interstellar for me or Dark Knight, but it's better than it's better than Batman Begins. It's mm-hmm. better than insomnia um you know I, i'd say it's i'd say it's top half but sort of in the middle i guess is what i is what i'd say but nice um scripts as far as scripts go it's his, i think it's his best script he's ever written so yeah i'll definitely agree with that and uh and letterboxd where can they find you uh at obsessive tiny i think yep you got it um, okay. for, for me, I rated this four and a half stars. Once again, I wrote a review. It's on obsessiveviewer.com. Link in the show notes. Show notes can be found at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV394. Um, and in terms of where I would rank it, it I mean, this is, this is going to be in my top five, probably. Well, I, it'll be in my top 10 for sure for the year. Uh, maybe top five. I'm very, very fortunate that I've had four, I think four, four and a half stars movies so far this year. Um, so it's been a very oh. good year so far. Um, in terms of Nolan's body of work, I need to revisit some things because Memento was kind of life changing for me. Because <laughs> like right. when we watched that when we were teenagers, like that just blew my mind. Um, but weirdly enough, like on Letterboxd, I have it rated at four stars, and I feel like that is a disservice. Like that that's a four and a half or five star movie for me. So pending that, pending that rewatch, I would put Oppenheimer slightly, like I would put it tied with Memento and I would have, um, the dark Knight and inception in the top two. Ask me Hmm. which one is which at any given time, I'll give you the opposite answer. Uh, (laughs) cause they're both just so good for me. Um, so that's where I would rank it, probably tied for third with with Memento. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, but let's go into spoilers for Oppenheimer. Uh, we're going to play a clip from the trailer, and then when we come back, we're going to be spoiling Oppenheimer. Uh, so be warned. Go check it out. Go see it in the theater. If you're in Indianapolis or in an area that uh, has the capabilities of seeing it in true IMAX on 70 millimeter. Go watch that. Cause that's an amazing experience. Um, yeah. So check that out. I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. And when we come back, we're going to be spoiling Oppenheimer. Let's go recruit some scientists. Build a town, build it fast. We don't let scientists bring their families. We'll never get the best. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the world? You're the great improviser, but this... 
you can't do in your head. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want for theory alone? Zero would be nice. This is a matter of life and death. But I can perform this miracle. Okay, spoilers on for Oppenheimer. Um, so, Tiny, I want to open this discussion with a stupid tweet that I tweeted. Um, that is not that I was proud of it, but also my sense of humor is not very funny. But um, the tweet was just a, a very dumb tweet. Um, I'm going to... Uh, this is so dumb. I'm so sorry, everyone. But the tweet was... The part in Oppenheimer where they test the bomb and it transports Oppenheimer to 2023 where he starts an OnlyFans under the name J. Robert Thottenheimer is a really bold choice by Nolan and I'm really not sure if audiences are going to like it. Um, <laughs> so let's go ahead and go into spoilers for uh, Thottenheimer. Um, what did you think uh, in a more open discussion we can we can kind of touch on the florence pew of pew of it all to start out if you'd like yeah sure and and one thing about her character that like and about the movie in general um i was i was kind of surprised at like the use of the nudity in this movie like because we see a lot of we see a lot of pew boob here and (laughs) like I mean, obviously, like I'm a fan of boobs, like I right. like to see boobs, but I, I don't know, maybe it's just as I'm getting older, like I very rarely see a nudity in a movie where I'm like, that makes creative sense. Like, I, I feel like, yeah, I just feel like it doesn't, it's so seldom is useful in a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what the purpose of it was in this movie. Like there, there's an early sex scene and that's fine. Like I, I have no, yeah issue with the little boobage in there but like there's just other parts where it's it's it feels like she's just on display and i don't i know i know she's uh, florence Pugh as a person in real life is very big on like the free the nipple thing mm-hmm. um and like that's cool and maybe that's why she wanted to do that or maybe that's why it's in the movie i have no idea but i i feel like i just feel like it doesn't add anything to the movie and it just always feels exploitative to me and i don't Again, love boobs, but it's just I don't <laughs> I I don't I feel like creatively it's it's a distraction and it doesn't it's not it's not a creative choice to me most of the time. It's definitely it's a really interesting choice to to have her be kind of if not outwardly objectified, but then just have her be kind of like you said, on display. It, and I feel like there's probably some rhyme to the reason of that. I know that there was a lot of press built up about it being like, oh, you know, Christopher Nolan has like sex scenes in this movie now. Like that's something we haven't seen in a Christopher Nolan movie. Like we've gotten like a little bit of that in like the Dark Knight Rises. Um, and that's pretty much it that I can think of. Right, um, right. And like... And I know there was like a lot of like kind of funny takes online. I think one was like, this might not even, I don't even know if this was a funny take or if it was like a sincere criticism of the movie or not. But it's like, I don't think Christopher Nolan understands what sex is, Um, (laughs) which like the nudity (laughs) and the sex scenes, like they, they worked. It was fine. And, and it, uh, it is, it is 
pertinent to the to the evolution of the plot i will say that um but it's also emblematic of some of the issues i have with it and by that i mean that one of the few scenes we get of florence Pugh is in the um the the kind of uh, closed door hearing that uh, oppenheimer is in when uh when they're talking about the affair and they're talking about it and this is all going on the record and everything and kitty his wife is seated behind him i think visually that is a very evocative scene because you see her just reacting to to the information that she has that she's known about but having it be a part of public record and everything it, it is weighing on her and then the scene transitions to like having this um this like this visual aid of of Oppenheimer and uh Jean played by Florence Pugh naked and like her straddling him and her just gazing into like the soul of Emily Blunt <laughs> and yeah. like that as an artistic choice is really interesting and captivating um but it's like it's, that I liked yeah. I liked that part but like I, I like that part because it was effective and it, mm -hmm. it showed a psychological visceral thing. And like, I, I don't have an issue with sex scenes necessarily, right. but it's, it's the nudity. Like yeah. there's the, the, the part where they have their affair, the, mm. the hookup and she's just sitting in the chair topless. That's why I'm, I'm like, why does she, Yeah, I don't know. I just, like, like I said, when, just felt like she was on display. Yeah. Like when he goes back to visit her, um, is that is that what you're talking about? Where they're both seated across yes. from each other? Yes. Yes. That it absolutely, absolutely, I agree. But I also feel like the justification of that is that this is a flashback from the perspective of it being read in in this setting. So I think that it is intentional that she's on display because this is like this is being dictated to the room with with Emily Blunt present and the the visual aspect of that of flashing back to this oh. description is that is like it is it is effectively a metaphor for how naked Oppenheimer's personal life is in this oh. open setting. Okay. I hadn't considered that. That's yeah. a really good take on that. That's my justification okay. of it, but who yeah. knows it could just be that nolan was like okay well you know let's let's do some more nudity here who knows um, <laughs> you might you might be right that's a really good take yeah. that's that's good yeah good good job on yeah. that because um, honestly i think the of the like four or five scenes that florence Pugh is in it's probably more than that but um i think the only ones where she's clothed is are her introductory scene at the party and in the scene her death scene, but also her, her scene with Oppenheimer where he is telling her that, yeah, I'm, I'm with Kitty. We're going to get married. She's pregnant. This has to end. And that I think, well, there's other scenes, but like those are the standout scenes where she's clothed. Right. Right. And I think that there's a kind of, there's, there's a dichotomy to that, that I think is, is, um, I, I don't, th I think that there is something to that. Um, but I haven't really worked mm -hmm. it out exactly. Um, yeah. 
The other big thing that I had with that subplot was the death scene. The did it look like someone was pushing her head down, or did no, I imagine I th- that? Yeah, and that I don't have an issue with that, but mm-hmm. I think it could have been like this was an R rating, like this is yeah. an R movie. There's no need to hold back on a depiction of suicide. Like mm-hmm. I, it, it was it was very quick cut like a lot of quick cuts and, and, and yeah. um, strange angles or strange, strange zooms, I guess from, yeah. from the camera. And, and I don't know that that was necessary. I would, I would have yeah. appreciated, I think it would have been a little more poignant and effective if it would have been a more straightforward filming of her committing suicide. Absolutely. And less ambiguous because it just felt, yes. it, it felt like a disservice to the character and that story overall, because like you said, it's a lot of quick cuts, very brief stuff. And we do get the fallout of that, no pun intended, but we get the fallout of that with with Oppenheimer reacting to it and then and then Kitty like like basically whipping him into shape and being like, You you don't get to be sinful and also gain our sympathy because of the outcome of of what happened or whatever. Um mm-hmm. but I think that in the moment where we have this character who is dying, I feel like it is a disservice to that subplot and that character to have it depicted in the same stylistic way as the rush of backstory in the opening scenes of the movie. (laughs) Like, very quick cuts, very ambiguous, very kind of confusing there. Because there was a moment where I thought that there was like a gloved hand that was behind her like like pressing her down and i thought like is the implication that they murdered her um but it, that didn't really go anywhere and it just kind of felt a little bit uh a little bit off to me um yeah that was strange yeah um i one other thing in spoilers that mm. i kind of wanted to talk about is i really enjoyed i i really enjoyed the 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 depiction of the dichotomy i guess that oppenheimer sort of suffers through throughout the movie where he i feel like it's almost best exemplified in the third act towards towards the conclusion where he's being in the gray hearing where he's being absolutely lambasted by roger the roger rob character Mm -hmm. um and he's he's like it's his finger in his face right up in him yelling at him tempers are flared and he's he's questioning him on his opinion on the morals of what he did and all that stuff and 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 I feel like Oppenheimer was able to separate his emotions and his morality from the practicality of what needed to happen like I I think he and I haven't read read up on his opinions. I, I'm not I'm not well read on his life and how he his 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 public opinions. I'm not well read on it. But essentially, I I know that he sort of spoke out against you know n- nuclear advancement, nuclear weapon advancement after after World War II and and all that yeah. stuff. And um, I, I I I just feel like in in the film his character so clearly has has this dichotomy of 
we have to build this bomb because if we don't, someone else will and will use it against us. Mm-hmm. And we have to, there's there's a really great line where he says something along the line. I think it's where all the scientists at Los Alamos get together to debate, you know, after Germany surrenders and all that, they're like, you know, do we even need to keep going and make this bomb? And he says something along the lines of they, they won't, uh, like they won't understand it until we use it and we have to use it. So I can't, I can't remember exactly what the line is. I wish I should have looked it up, but it's, it's a fantastic line. And, yeah. and I feel like it, again, that exemplifies how he has a moral, uh, a moral objection yeah. to using these weapons, but we didn't have a choice in world war two. We had mm-hmm. to use it. And, and it's like, he's so smart that to him, that's obvious, but, someone like Roger Robb or Senator Robb who's trying to use it against him, he, he either doesn't get it or he doesn't, you know, he's, he's trying to use it against him. And I, I just, I appreciate it throughout the entire movie, how he, he, he's such a, he's such a complex character. Robert Oppenheimer in real life was such a complex mm-hmm. person, but it was also simple to him. He was like, yeah, like I think communism is interesting, but I'm not a member of the party. Like I, I just find it fascinating and I'm curious and I think it has some, you know, some uses in this world and it's, it's yeah. a fascinating thing to study and think about and explore. And, but that doesn't mean I'm a communist. That doesn't mean I'm a spy and trading secrets to Russia and all that. And it's so obvious to him and I think it's obvious to other people, but it's, I, I just, I love how that was depicted throughout the whole movie. And yeah, because he he was obviously a very conflicted man and mm-hmm. and that's that that conflict along with all the other conflicts in the movie is is always kind of always at center stage and and that's again can be chalked up to the fantastic writing of Chris Nolan so Absolutely. And the the quote, I believe, is uh, they won't fear it until they understand it and they won't understand it until they've used it. Um, That's it. Thank you. And there's another quote that where he says, I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon, but I know the Nazis can't. um, Right. Also stood out. Um, But yeah, it's it's a very complex character study. And I I love the movie for that, for sure. Yeah. in regards to that escalation thing, the the kind of main focus of the movie, if there is one singular main focus, is Oppenheimer reckoning with the power that he has facilitated and the pain and the suffering that it could cause and the very real possibility that it could be the end of human humankind, like that it could put an end to the world as we know it. Um, and that, I think, is really handled extraordinarily well um especially in those little like snippets of like being put into his perspective those shots of those like atom smashing scenes um and the uh did we already talk about the big scene where he was uh speaking in front of all the people uh after the bomb we didn't know, yeah, but that, I, I love oh the visuals God. of that. Yeah, I, I put in my review that it's not only the best scene of the movie for me, but it is one of the best the best scenes that Christopher Nolan has put to film in his career. <laughs> like, mm. it was stunning to me, absolutely stunning. And there is just this level of 
of fear that is fear and and uh desolation really to the psyche of Oppenheimer that throughout the movie he is just battling this the implications of what he has facilitated what he's done what is possible and everything and that is i mean that's the the button of the movie is him is the reveal of what he said to Einstein uh, which we'll talk about that but um but just to have that slowly slowly unravel into the point to the point where he has like a couple of scenes where he is just experiencing like the the effects of of his like that visual representation of 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 experiencing that anxiety that fear that palpable palpable um uh just anxiety that he feels about everything be just showcased to us through the perspective of him speaking in front of everyone saying like saying very naturally like these like big platitudes about how like oh i would just wish that we could have used it against the germans and everything and then all the while he's seeing the destruction at like that that whole like cacophony of visuals and sound was just like i was my jaw was on the floor i thought that the violent imagery of it the the horror of it and the way that that just really put such a such a strong point to Oppenheimer's like mental anguish of over the whole thing was just it was it was perfect it was it was absolutely perfect I fully agree one of my favorite parts of that scene is the audio yes yes uh- just the 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 dropping in and dropping out of the cheers and the stomping feet and obviously in IMAX it's going to be amazing because there's yeah. like a hundred speakers in there, um, but one of my favorite parts is it's there's like this um, very it's it's sort of subtle. Um, there's like a woman screaming. Uh, it just kind of it's kind of dropped in like a single scream from mm. a woman and it's like a I don't know it's like the, it was mixed in with cheers. And it, yes, I need to see it again to really nail it down. But it, it stuck with me when I saw mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, that scene was. I agree. I think it's one of his, one of the best things he's ever put to film. I agree. Yeah. That was incredible. Absolutely. Um, and then also, uh, I know there were other things I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember off the top of my head now. But we should talk about the testing scene. Um, the big kind of set piece of the movie is the atomic bomb test and Mm. to like the visual aspect of that the the audio of it is i mean that that was that was something else how did you feel about the way that that was depicted i loved everything about it again amazing audio in that scene um i loved everything about it except the actual explosion like Interesting. I know, I know he has such a. I mean, the the these like the slow mo- slow motion flames and everything mm-hmm. are great. All the light, the intense light, like that's so good. But like, it's it just it didn't it didn't seem big enough. Like, I mean, this is, I, I that that's why. Like, he's so like Christopher Nolan is so dedicated to practical filmmaking, mm-hmm. which I love, but this is a situation where CGI could have really 
amplified that scene in my opinion if we had seen a true or if they had shown us a well-depicted mushroom cloud and given up given us a larger um a lot like a larger wide angle shot mm-hmm. of a of that explosion in cgi because obviously practically you can't even get close to a nuclear detonation right. i don't care you know i mean it within within the rules of law i'm sure i'm I'm sure they're 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 you know um uh hamstrung in a certain way if they were like hey can we get you know these explosives and you you know the the fbi would drop in at some point i don't i don't know but um there's only so much you can do practically and i i just wish that that's the one time where i was like bring in some cgi man i I think i think it could have increased i think it could have increased the amplitude of that scene to have a true like cgi just just the explosion like the actual fireball mushroom cloud you can't create that practically that has to be done with cgi and i and again it they did a good job and every other thing about that scene is insanely good and like it's it's an it's an a they they scored and they they're getting graded an a (laughs) on that scene but Mm -hmm. what would have put it over the top would have been a better depiction of the actual like fireball explosion yeah. in my opinion with some more like wide shots mm-hmm. showing that to us um that's my opinion maybe that's that maybe other people felt differently and i'm sure you did but yeah I, i'm curious how just how you felt about it and what all details jumped out to you you know that's really interesting because i didn't have any kind of qualms with it and i know that you didn't necessarily have qualms with it or anything but i i didn't really think about it i did notice that it it is the actual fireball the mushroom cloud effect of it, it was different from like what i conventionally think of as an atomic bomb detonation from years of watching movies and everything and i i'm curious to know how close that is to actually replicating the look of an actual atomic bomb blast and maybe i i don't know how cuz I'm, I would be curious to know, but I, I definitely understand what you're saying that it could have been enhanced, uh, especially to show the absolute magnitude of it. Um, right. But the sound design of that, the the delay of sound and the way that it just it is it is so propulsive. It's it's deafening. It was that was that was remarkable to me. Um, and the the weaving of the separate perspectives of the uh, the yes. scientists who were watching it from different vantage points was great editing and yeah super effective oh yeah um also the um uh yeah i lost my turn of thought i i have i do have another point that i want to bring up kind of about that but the thing that i wanted to touch on in spoilers about kind of going way back and this can just be a brief um thing because i don't know the actual true story i don't know what exactly happened with uh with with the character that or with the woman that Florence Pugh is um, is doing, but I just remembered that I forgot to bring up how how slightly comical. I don't know if I want to say comical, but how interesting it is that Christopher Nolan, for as much as I love the guy's work and everything, every movie, just about every movie, has to have the like fridging the wife scene where like the like a vast majority of male characters at the center of a Christopher Nolan movie are brought 
like they're they're basically like they're propelled into whatever the narrative is by the death of their spouse. And it's it's like throughout throughout most of his movies and everything. And that's kind of a a a comical kind of thing to point out and everything. It's just like when when I when when it was being reported that there was going to be a lot of nudity with Florence Pugh and, and Killian Murphy, I kind of made like the kind of snarky joke that like, oh, okay, well, that means that like this is the first Christopher Nolan movie that has like actual like nudity and sex scenes and everything. So that means that, you know, Oppenheimer is going to um, uh, have sex before Christopher Nolan just kills off his love interest. Uh <laughs> And I said that not knowing the story and not knowing what, like, what was going to happen and everything. And I was just like, he still did it. That's interesting. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That's just a weird observation. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about in regards to the the depiction of the bomb and also the absence of uh, depictions of war is I feel like there is a level of in as far as can be demonstrated in this particular movie, there is a certain level of restraint or even respect given to the loss of life in, in the, the, the blasts in, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in that we don't see it on screen. We don't see them dropping the bombs. We don't see anything. And it's even evident in the scene where uh, Oppenheimer is in that like place where they're going over the casualty reports and everything and showing slides and showing footage and everything. And the camera is just focused in on Oppenheimer, on his reactions, him learning this. And it's not like a much lesser filmmaker would have probably not thought through that to that extent that, it would have to be a physical representation. It would have to be a visual representation to show the horror of it. But instead he's trusting his actor. He's trusting that he can communicate the absolute like un like unconscionable, like, like, uh, like uh, in insane level of, of loss and, and horror that, that was, you know, um, responsible for, by focusing it in on Killian Murphy and trusting him to carry that the weight of that of those of what's being said on screen, and I just thought that that was just a really elegant touch by Christopher Nolan and Killian Murphy. Just I, I have loved that man for decades at this point, and I'm just so happy to see him in such a big starring role, especially for Christopher Nolan. And this is like this is. I, I just, I love, I love, I love Killian Murphy. And I think he did a phenomenal job. I agree. I, I am um, on, on your first point. I, th- I think a lesser filmmaker would have overdone that scene. I, and I think a lesser actor would have overacted it. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it was, it was really effective and, and I don't know if tasteful is the right word, but I, I don't know. I don't know that the tone of this movie was about admonishing the existence of this weapon and the production of this weapon and the use yeah. of this weapon. I don't think that's what this movie was about. So I don't know that I think some people might criticize that scene for not showing 
the uh, projections and, mm. and the, the photos or whatever that they were looking at um, a, as a way to like protect the audience or something or make it less harsh. Like I think people might criticize it for that, but mm. I I don't because again I just don't think that was in line with the tone of the movie, right? And and though what what the movie was trying to achieve overall, it was about his reaction and about how yeah. he responded to it. So, uh, yeah, I love that scene and fully agree. Killian Murphy. Yeah. I mean, he's. I feel like he's a shoe in for an Oscar nomination for this. Absolutely. If he doesn't doesn't get it, I'll be uh, furious. Um, Same. Yeah, he was he was magnificent. Uh, and and uh, one thing that surprised me a bit is I think. Killian Murphy went through a decent um, physical transformation for this. He is real thin in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he's always been a real skinny guy, but I mean, he looks he looks peaked throughout mm-hmm. a majority of the movie. So, yeah, I was I was a little surprised by that. Um, uh, yeah, he he definitely has a very uh, a, a slight physical presence there. Also, when you said peak it, I just thought like, oh, it's peaked blinders. Um, blinders. But <laughs> which I've never seen peaky blinders, but I know that that's been his his thing for years now. Um, yeah. Uh, to the point about the depiction and everything, I I do I do really commend the movie for really diving into while avoiding the the like devastation and having that be like even even a well-meaning director could have made that be like in uh incidentally gratuitous by showing it in in order to in an effort to not not to capitalize on like oh you know showing this devastation as like disaster porn but showing it as a means to show like this is what human beings did to one another this is what this is what happened and this is, you know, this is why he's carrying this weight of, of destruction and everything on, on his shoulders and everything. Instead of doing that, what Nolan does is there's a few, there are a few scenes where to, to highlight and showcase how absolutely dangerous it is for nuclear arms to escalate over the years following, following the, the Manhattan project he shows the disconnect between like what what happened and like the with the people in power who are not carrying the necessary weight of that of that responsibility case in point being like when they're selecting the targets and i can't remember who it was was it a secretary i don't know but when he was like uh like he's like okay what about these two oh not not kyoto cuz uh, me and my wife honeymoon there um and and yeah. then like in the scene with Truman, who, by the way, was Gary Oldman. That was surprising. Um, yeah. That was awesome. But like him just being like, hey, you know, no one gives a shit that you that you made the bomb. It, I'm the one who dropped it. And like he does it in this way that's like, like he kind of condescendingly hands him his handkerchief and is just like, you know, cry about it and everything. It's like, dude, <laughs> like read the room, bro. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, we can start kind of wrapping up here soon because I know that we've gone over the time uh, and everything. But I did want to kind of share some thoughts about the ending. Um, first of all, and we can circle back to this if you if you want to, but uh, to kind of get it all out there, um, the scene where it flashes back and forth between Oppenheimer and Strauss as they're 
as they're kind of at the the end of their respective timelines and Strauss is talking about how uh Oppenheimer like he's basically presenting what humankind and what like what America views Oppenheimer as as Oppenheimer is giving like his depiction of or like his account of of what like how he feels and I think that the 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 way that it juxtaposes that in this cross-cutting scene where these two actors are not speaking to one another but they are speaking passionately in defense of their own perspectives and how that relates to the greater narrative i think that that is an astonishingly well-written and well-performed like dramatic climax of the movie it is it is incredible incredible to me and um like I said, we can kind of circle back to that in a second, but I do want to just briefly mention the ending uh, where it's the reveal of like what Einstein said and, and what, what Oppenheimer said to Einstein and Oppenheimer saying like you asked if, like I'd asked you if we were potentially going to, you know, destroy the world. And my answer is I think we did. And like that is such a an amazing closing line, having it focus on Oppenheimer's face as we cut to credits and everything that works incredibly well. It is an amazing button on it. However, and this is a nitpick to end all nitpicks, I feel like this, the structure of that ending, the way that that plays out, is something that we have seen time and time and time again in Christopher Nolan movies. Like, it is like his go-to template for how to end a movie. Like, having all of these things converge and then have like a, an ominous like scene that's like kind of, kind of prominent and say like, you know, uh, and then end on one final thing and then title card. And it's like, we saw it with Matthew McConaughey going back to the ship and interstellar. We saw it with the spinning top and inception. We saw it in, uh, uh, um, uh, the dark Knight rises with, um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt rising up in the in the Batcave. We saw it with um, uh, uh, Batman Begins with the whole like whole like yeah tri- um, here's here's the card for the Joker and everything and you'll never have to uh, say thank you. It's just like it just seems like structurally it's the same type of ending in so many of his movies and like it is such a weird. And I don't know if that's a valid criticism or anything, because it works. It works every time. Like, it, it is effective. And here it is potentially most effective, but it still is that same template. And it's just, it's a little weird. It kind of reminds me a little bit on a very light level of the Aaron Paul gif from Breaking Bad, where it's like, he can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> But I don't know. So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I don't know about those two points. Do you have anything, or am I completely off my rocker? Yeah. Um, the first point about the the structure of the ending leading mm-hmm. up to the actual final line, I fully agree. That is an amazing piece of structure and just writing the the the, the weaving of those two stories is great. Also, it's amazing how few scenes. Oppenheimer and Strauss actually share together. Absolutely. Being that they're antagonists of one another, that's really incredible. But um, what you said about Christopher Nolan's final scenes and movies, you're not wrong, but I feel like what you're (laughs) describing, well, I I feel like what you're describing is a crescendo. 
Yeah. Which is a, a natural ending. Like, and it's, and it's, 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 it, it, he does use it. It's in different formats. Like you said, the spinning top and in inception. Mm. And it's, it's not always just like a quippy line, you know, it's a spinning top or it's, um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Um, Memento kind of has something like that as kinda, well. Uh, yeah. A, a line, uh, a line like that. Um, but you know, like, like I said, uh, I feel like if you again, it, you didn't you you didn't say it was necessarily a a, a criticism, but right. it's a uh, maybe a ploy would be a, a proper term for mm-hmm. it. But um, I've I've never thought of that since mm-hmm. you mentioned you just mentioning that is the first time I've ever thought about it. But again, I I feel like that what you're describing is a crescendo in film form mm-hmm. and the greatest symphonies of all time all use crescendos and like it's just i don't know like i feel i feel like it's it's appropriate but it it is a you i know you've used the term before regarding christopher nolan that he has a bag of tricks yeah he 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 draws from a bag of tricks and that's one of his favorite tricks so yeah and and, and i i agree that it that you that is a valid criticism um but i i don't it doesn't bother me. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And, and I feel like he, he uses it so well that I don't know why he would do anything else. I <laughs> <Yeah>. guess <laughs> to be clear, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily bother me. It's just, it's, it's more that I see the pattern in his work to use that, okay. that same style, like that same structure, that same crescendo effect. Um, uh-huh. But in in part of me is like, you know, most of these, maybe it's just a natural byproduct of making a nonlinear story, like telling a nonlinear story, having all of these things dovetail together and then having it cross cut with with each other, having multiple timelines end in the same moment and then end on one provocative shot and then credits. Like, I get that. I get that for sure. But um I also just feel I think it's just mostly just that I see the pattern and that's that's bothering me just slightly even though it's effective and also just the fact that this is like I can understand that and and align with that as a staple in his in his work but I kind of feel like this being nonfiction, this being a biopic about a real person real events and then technically I guess Dunkirk is the same way but with this, it just kind of feels like it, it, it's not even that it lessens the the overall narrative and the theme and everything, but it just feels like given that this is a different type of story than than what we're used to from him, I kind of expected something a little bit different as the final button on the movie. But yeah. I say all that having not had a problem with the ending <laughs> with that end sequence, like I think that it ends on the appropriate note and the final shot of, of his face as he, like, as we are given that information of what he said to Einstein, it's like, that's perfect. Like that is the perfect encapsulation of everything that this movie is saying. And it's just, it's just weird that it's the same template, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Um, so that's fair. Yeah. I get, I get what you're saying. Um, Yeah. 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 So, anything else on uh, Oppenheimer? Um, I don't think so. I feel like there's uh, there's so many other things we could talk about, but uh, yeah, yeah. Just just suffice to say, it was fantastic. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Um, I definitely want to see it. I want to see it in Dolby. Um, so I might see it this weekend. I'm not sure, but, um, yeah. very excited. Nonetheless, I'm, I'm very glad to be very excited about a Christopher Nolan movie. It's that it's a great, great feeling. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's wind down once again, ratings, uh, four and a half stars for me, still four and a half stars for you, tiny. Yes, sir. Perfect. So, uh, once again, uh, I don't think we're going to do like a potpourri section or anything because it is late. Um, (laughs) so, uh, we're going to end this episode now. Um, once again, check out, uh, all of our work, check out obsessiveviewer.com, check out the podcasts, uh, the one you're listening to also anthology where I talk about the twilight zone as a first time viewer and other sci-fi anthology storytelling and stories and series and everything. I'm about to do a, uh, deep dive into season six of black mirror. Is it season six or five, six, I think. Uh, I think it's six. Yeah, it's season six. Um, and then also, uh, if you're in a giving mood and want so much more content, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, a whole bunch of different, uh, tiers that each one has like a wealth of, of audio, audio content. Uh, I post there. If, if, if I go more than a few days without posting a Patreon thing, I feel like there would be a missing persons report <laughs> made because I'm always <laughs> posting on that damn Patreon. But uh, check are. that out. Yeah, I'm very, I'm proud of it. I really like doing it. Um, you should be. Ah, thank you. Um, and then also check out TikTok for all of uh, my crazy dance. I don't dance on TikTok. I just do book reviews and movie and uh, TV thoughts and everything. So, um, okay. I, lo- I love that stitch you made. That oh, was yeah. Like I, I was really proud of it. <laughs> That was yeah. funny as shit. Like, yeah. I was, I was really proud of that. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll put a link in the show notes if I can remember to, but anyway, or just check awesome. out TikTok, uh, OV podcasts on TikTok. But anyway, tiny as always, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do next time on the show, but, um, very glad that we have this outlet to, to talk movies and everything. So um okay absolutely yeah Yeah. thanks man hell yeah of course so i'm gonna go ahead and start playing us out um yeah let us know what you thought about oppenheimer you can send an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com reach us on twitter obsessive viewer uh also on threads uh obsessive viewer the new whatever uh instagram (laughs) all the social medias but anyway thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon potpourri episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. So that's that's kind of a little bit um, of a personal kind of preference that I have or a personal reaction that I'm having to this season. But the ways that that relationship and those themes are explored in Maisie Day are still pretty fresh and unique and interesting. It's It kind of delves into this whole idea of privacy and uh, the need for privacy and the, the greed for uh, the greed of people to take away that privacy and the lack of humanity expressed in that kind of uh, 
reveal uh, like it, it that um oh god what's the word i'm looking at like that um breach of privacy this podcast was edited and produced by matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com you can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts for exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.